Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Thank you to our audience for helping us achieve our top 20 of 2021 status. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit programs enhance people's lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, happy Friday. It's a podcast day. What do you say? Thanks, Robin. It looks like it's going to be another great day. And we were just talking before we hopped on here about the weather event that happened last night. So uh, by the time this recording gets out, a big tornado in Barrie. And I know you've got some family up there, but luckily I think they were spared. So best wishes to everyone out there that's having to struggle with the after effects of the tornado. Hopefully everyone is going to be able to make it through okay, because that was a bit of a shock. Yeah, it hasn't happened for about 30 years. I remember that happening when my sister moved up that way. So thankfully, everyone is okay. And obviously, my heart goes out to everyone in those uh, pictures, those devastating pictures that the people's uh, homes were affected. So hopefully, everyone is going to be able to recover from that. So today, Podcast Friday, really happy with my initial conversation with this person. And it's one of the reasons why we wanted to have him on the show. So today's guest is Curtis Hollister from Physio. And we're going to talk about what Physio is. He is a global entrepreneur and innovator who has successfully grown a number of technology startups. His current focus is on evolving healthcare using digital technology to improve care and client outcomes, which I think is very cool. Hollister's technology leadership began in 1995 when he started the first successful internet service provider in Ottawa, which is, as we know, Canada's capital city. After selling the business in 1997, he founded another technology startup to capitalize on the emerging intranet application market, which was in its infancy at the time. As the company grew, he created a spinoff focusing on peer-to-peer networking. During this time, Hollister was asked to participate in exploration of the Chinese market. He was inspired by the once-in-a-generation opportunity he saw there. And after the successful sale of his technology interests, Hollister began to devote his energies to developing global ventures, including deal-making for public companies looking to expand internationally. Almost a decade later, with a deep appreciation for the complexities involved in global business relationships and public companies, he combines his deep expertise in technology, his broad experience with public markets, and his love of creative digital media to help brands win new audiences. Mr. Hollister studied economics at the Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada, He is active in the Ottawa community and served on the board of the AIESEC Carleton, an organization that promotes international understanding and cooperation. Welcome to the show, Curtis. Great to have you here. Oh, thanks so much, Robin. Al, this is a great opportunity. Thanks so much for letting me join you guys this morning. I tell you, when I read a bio like that and I see it and I think, boy, you know, before I read bios like that, I think, oh boy, I'm doing pretty good. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm doing a few things along the way. And, you know, you left feeling, wow. Um. I got some catching up to do with some other people out there. No, really great to have you on the show. And again, we enjoyed our initial conversation so much. We thought, hey, let's have this on the podcast. So Curtis, you are one of the founders of physio.com, a virtual physiotherapy company. Maybe tell us a little bit about what that is and, and what started you on this path in healthcare. 
Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. Physio.com is, you know, one of those companies that have entered that health tech and sure tech space that's really about trying to create better access for musculoskeletal disorders, which is a really complicated word for muscle and joint injuries and pain. It's actually kind of a weird story. You know, my whole entrepreneurial career, I've never really had like a deep body of experience in the things that I started. I know that sounds like not the best approach to being an entrepreneur or innovating. So I wasn't in the insurance space. I wasn't in the physiotherapy space. I had been in the video space. So I produced thousands of videos. I built like AT&T's video management system. So I kind of that enterprise DNA and how to build applications that can be, be large. But this story was really about a bunch of people that didn't really know each other coming together around an idea initially to enable pre-diabetic patients to get access to physiotherapy and therapeutic exercise programs. So one of the other founders was in uh, Los Angeles. He had five clinics at the time. He grew that to nine clinics. And then I said, well, listen, like instead of just doing this for pre-diabetic patients, why don't we do it for your business for like, you know, for physiotherapy? And he's just like, well, I guess we could. And we started to innovate, like, you know, how the experience was and and what you start to realize as somebody that's new in these spaces is that there's all of these friction points all over the place, right? How people are paid, how people get the business to come in, how people get service, how that service experience is designed and so forth. So what I was excited about was the fact that, hey, nobody had done this before. And that's you know usually one of the checkboxes that if we're just another company that's doing what five other companies have already done, then it's not really as kind of exciting. The problem with that is that when you lead, you bleed. <laughs> and when you're creating something that's new, you can be really misinformed ab about it and think that you're on the right path and think that you're like doing things right. So we built this version one kind of telehealth for physiotherapy. It's not just like a Zoom session. There's a lot of things that go into it, monitoring patients and all those kinds of things. And the feedback that we would get from PTs or physiotherapists was like, this is fantastic. We've been waiting 10 years for this. We go to the trade shows, you'd have like a hundred people gathered around us. So you had those entrepreneurial kind of like, you know, moments where you're like at the end of the day with a glass of wine in your hand, you're like, holy smokes, this is something, this is really something. And then reality starts to set in as you start to realize that even though you got really great feedback and even though you did all these great things, that this group that you're trying to sell to is not a technology user and they're not a technology buyer. And that it takes you a long time to, you're like that drug of all that positive feedback. You're like, yeah, but what about all of that? So what we had is a long process of really trying to find our audience. A lot of people initially said, hey, you can't do virtual physiotherapy. It's not possible. Like we had all of these kind of like supporters and doubters at the same time. You know, the key to our success was really getting people into the experience. It's just the minute they get into the experience, we've got super high satisfaction rates. And we realized after a period of time, probably in 2019, we started in 2016, that companies were our clients, right? It's not PTs, it's not individuals, it's the company that's our client. Company doesn't have a virtual physiotherapy problem, they have a musculoskeletal disorder problem. It's usually the second highest cost within their short-term disability and paramedical. It's two or three for most organizations. And there wasn't a lot of solutions for it. So we had these band of brothers that have come together basically and with a shared mission. And we just started kind of iterating the technology over and over and over again. Uh, Robin, I know that you're kind of a, a jujitsu practitioner and that's really what we were doing. We were doing 
innovation jujitsu in the virtual space. It's like, well, what happens if we do it this way? What happens if we move over here and shift our weight on this side? And then we found our mark with what we call of our MSK 360 musculoskeletal therapeutic platform. It's a, a long journey to get to the point where we started to make big partnerships with like Manulife and Greenshield and Medivade Blue Cross and Mercer. We've got clients like Amazon now across the country with like 40,000 employees. So we finally turned from, you know, the the ugly ducking into a swan, I guess, but um, it's still a hard journey to get and do what we do on a, on a day in day out basis and justify our reason for being. It's amazing during, you know, especially during COVID. I mean, a lot of things that we took for granted going to the doctor's office, you know, walking into the drugstore. And it was amazing from a benefits consultant perspective to have those conversations and see what happened. And and we were really forced to move forward and adopt technologies like this. And from an employer standpoint, I've had the conversations and platforms like yours where people could still access physiotherapy because they needed it. They were in pain. They had issues that they needed to deal with. They didn't necessarily want someone coming into their home or going into an office, but because of platforms like yours, they were still able to make progress. And I've had employers say to me, thank goodness that platforms like this exist. And it's interesting that there's companies like yours that were forward thinking enough. And maybe the conversation pre-COVID was, uh, that'd be a nice to have. Fast forward to you know now, hey, these are table stakes. This is something I definitely want because it impacts my employee's life, how they're feeling. And, and of course, we all know healthy, happy employees are engaged employees. So that's that's really interesting to hear. Certainly COVID was the accelerant that hit our flame that really, you know, I think in the first four months, we did about 49,000 visits on our platform. So it went from us kind of like, you know, fighting for our place in the world to, of course, you guys should be a solution that we're considering. The interesting point there, though, is only something like 7% of PTs have still done telehealth sessions. So it's still a very small audience within an audience that says, hey, I'm willing to embrace this new modality as a thing. So I guess the message as I'm saying it out loud here is, hey, you're never going to convince some people of your offering, but the ones that you do convince, just make sure you take care of those guys because they had the guts to try this. They had the guts to kind of like be a believer. And with those believers, you got to make sure that you just keep bending over backwards until this just becomes the way the world is. Curtis, uh, listening and and reading through your bio, it's obvious that entrepreneurship has been something that you were always interested in. Can you talk a little bit about your journey through some of the founding companies? Because there's quite a story there. Yeah, well, these things always read a lot better. I think my wife is a little bit to blame for how good that reads, to be honest, because she's a heck of a good writer. You know, my wife and I have been together since we were 15 years old. So she's really been the co-entrepreneur in some ways, even though we haven't always been in business together, but she has seen the, the journey. So I remember my dad was a guy that I think the most he ever earned was about maybe $55,000. We're a small town family. You played hockey, you're either going to go to the NHL or maybe just work on a farm. And for whatever reason in high school, I decided that I wanted to start a painting business. And I had no reason to do that. There's no other DNA in our family that was like entrepreneurs as an example. But I remember, again, like not knowing anything about it, like being at the paint store and the person going, hey, have you guys, uh, there's three of us, have you guys ever painted before? (laughs) And uh, we're like, no. And they're like, and so you're setting a commercial business to do painting and you've never done it before. And I said, yeah. And she's like, here's a video on how to paint just so you guys don't screw this up too badly. 
and kind of like developing those entrepreneurial muscles. And in, in university, I started the internet service provider in university that you're talking about. We were Ottawa's first ISP, basically, or Bell Canada's first ISP, is that we kept on just seeing like these things that were on the horizon. Like I just was like, oh, okay, that seems like it's going to be something, right? And I always reference back to entrepreneurs and time in a lot of ways. Like time, you really don't appreciate time until you hit like close to your 50s, right? Like once you're like approaching 50, you start to realize, geez, how many summers do I have left? How many of these do I have left? So I think it was Stephen Hawking that said like in 500 years, humanity won't exist if we continue on this path. And then just before he died, he said, we probably have closer to 100 years. If we continue on this path, which is kind of a jarring, maybe he was just doing that for like a fact as the scientist and superhuman, but assume he's just right. So when you start to kind of like, you've been in some of these entrepreneurial kind of ventures, and then you realize if I only had a hundred years, like there's just a hundred years, we just, that's what we get. Nothing's going to stop you from doing the things that you want to do. And if they do stop you, then you're a dummy. So once you kind of develop those muscles, you're like, Hey, I've got this idea. I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to stop myself doing these things. All right it becomes kind of an easy journey. The real challenge is saying no to things where you go, I'm not going to do this other idea. I'm not going to do this other idea because you'll start to actually develop a process where you can see the white spaces and the gaps in an industry. And you want to keep you know, you lather, rinse, repeat. You want to keep doing those things. I think your story resonates probably with both uh, Robin and I, because we've had this conversation before about when we were, we were both teenagers, we were in the lawn cutting business and that was our first entrepreneur that lawn and delivering papers. If I recall, right, Robin, I remember with the Sunday sun, you had to be 12 years old. So I might've told a little bit of a white lie when I was 11 and years later, I was listening to a Tony Robbins tape and he had said, using your personal power. So instead of a white lie, I like to convince myself that I was just using my personal power to get that first job. So yeah, we can definitely relate. You know, Curtis, we've, we've talked a lot about innovating and iterating and, you know, innovation-based businesses, they're fun, they're creative. I mean, sometimes you want to, you want to pull your hair out, but they're hard to succeed at. Maybe talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah. Like I look at it in a couple of ways. Sometimes you've got an innovation that's like strategic, right? Like this is like a fundamentally new way of doing something. Like we're taking this, it's not iterative. It's like fundamentally different. And then you've got others that are tactical. And depending on the industry that you're kind of selling into, right? Innovating a tactical solution is actually quite easy, right? You were doing it this way. And now if you just do it this way, instead, you're going to save 5% or 10% on the cost of something. So your tactic might be setting up a provider network of that has a discounted rate as an example. What I find really challenging for entrepreneurs is that maintaining that energy, if you're doing something that's strategic, that takes a lot of convincing, that takes people doing something that's risky, that a lot of people that I would say that there maybe want to be kind of like innovators. They love to criticize. They work in a big organization and they're like, okay, you guys are too small. You're like, well, that's how every idea starts. It's a small idea. So one of the things is making sure that if you're going to kind of innovate is realizing what you're asking people to say yes to. And even though you might have a strategic kind of ask in the long run, if you start with that, you're going to have a long sales cycle typically. If you can do a tactical kind of solution that leads into your strategic solution, then you know you can typically get a quicker yes. You're like, oh yeah, sure, let's try this. This is great, no problem. So that all backs into selling, right? Selling is hard. Salespeople have this stigma associated with them that they're like, you know, 
bad people somehow, like that they had to take the sales job because they're somehow not as good as everyone else at doing real work. But the fact of the matter is nothing happens until something gets sold. And when you're looking at like innovation, you got to get really clear that what you're really building is a sales organization first. Like you got to build a sales system. And that's not easy for a lot of people to do because it's intimidating. It's the turndown factor. So that's looking at innovation. I think, how do we kind of accelerate sales into systems that there isn't anything to sell into? And I think that's a big challenge that we had and it takes a long time. The second thing I would say is, you've got people that are natural innovators. Like they just can come into any situation that they're design thinking, they can come in and they can point out where we could do things better and so forth. But they aren't necessarily inside these businesses, right? Like a doctor that's replacing hips all the time. He's the one that will come up with a new design for a hip because he is intimate with that. But how many doctors are innovators at the same time that do that? Very few, very few. So being able to kind of like implant innovators into like business processes so that they can analyze them. And the insurance industry certainly could use more of this and healthcare industry is that like, there's no exposure to people that think that way on what these gaps are. They're blind spots. They don't know what they don't know about these industries. So we could be advancing a lot faster if we had more of a way of actually kind of like bringing people in to observe the innovations that we could be implementing and cross-pollinating them across other industries that have already worked. It's interesting about when you're talking about sales and I mean, being a dirty word. And, and for as long as I've been in this industry, it really has been. I mean, no one wants to call themselves a salesperson. But the reality is that as much as my industry would like to refer to themselves as benefits consultant, myself included, you have to realize at the end of the day, exactly what you said, Curtis, nothing happens until that sale is made. And I'll use myself as, as an example. When I'm going in to look at someone's benefits, and unless it's a new startup, they have a broker. So I have to sell them on why are you benefits, why our value proposition is better than where you are. So it's just one of those things that I was actually referred to a book that you've probably read or it. And if you haven't, it's worth getting at least on the audio. I would get the hard copy version, The Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge. And Mark was the leader behind HubSpot's sales team for many, many years. And he, and he just he just talks about it. Now, now that book applies to SaaS, but you can definitely take that out to many industries. And it's just interesting how even today, you know, here we are in 2021, and you won't run into many people that will refer to their sales team. And especially in my world, it's very much we're consultants. I mean, at the end of the day, we're in sales. I mean, we're doing sales all the time. We have to convince those people to start doing business or at least have those conversations. So interesting commentary. And I don't know how to change that because you do have the gamut of like a lot of sales services are lumped in together. Like somebody calling you up as a telemarketer is sales. So, yeah, it's a, some salesman calling me up. Certainly, I don't equate myself to some telemarketer that right, know, doesn't right. care who the next call is going to type thing. Like, I think that, that when you're talking about assembling a benefits package for a company for their specific company needs, like you're designing something from the tools that you have, and then maybe some outside things that are outside of the norms and so forth. Like you're trying to help these guys, right? That's right. What I found is, you know, every salesperson goes through these like high highs and low lows. Like if they don't, I think they're not being honest necessarily. And you've got to be able to figure out like, hey, listen, how do I deal with feeling crappy about my success? How do I deal with actually kind of 
picking myself back up and being authentic and really kind of like being able to kind of talk to that next person and, and do this all over again. It's like singing on a stage, the same song every night. You better love singing. If you don't love singing, this is going to be a stress bomb after stress bomb after stress bomb for you. And the other thing to consider is, hey, you can fail at something you love doing. You can fail at it. And you can also fail at something you hate doing. I'd rather fail at something I love doing than fail at something I hate doing. Don't settle for something that you don't like and that you're failing at. You're like, make a change. I think that's a conversation that, you know, we talk about failure, we talk about those kinds of things, but it's almost like the psychology of like the depression without kind of labeling it as depressed. It's just depressing to get turned down. It's not like you're depressed. It's just depressing and it's hard to deal with. So Curtis, you are setting me up perfectly for my next question because <laughs> you've obviously had a long entrepreneurial journey and anyone who's been an entrepreneur knows that it's full of ups and downs and disappointments and successes. So talk a little bit about what you were just touching on right there. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with those ups and downs and those fails? If I'm being really honest about it, the key for me succeeding at kind of mindset it's like, what is my mindset at any given time? And certainly a lot of people that have gone through this COVID for the last year and a half, the mindset of just being in your house all the time. And like, you're kind of getting a feeling for those things. So if I'm exercising, I know I'm doing something for myself every single day, like in the morning or whatever time I do it, if I'm exercising, I feel like I'm getting a win by doing that. The other kind of tactic I use is I try to do something in the morning right off the bat that I call a win, like something I didn't want to do or like some little, th it could be tiny, right? It could be cleaning up my desk. It doesn't matter what it is. But if I get a win first thing in the morning, all of a sudden I feel like wins are easy or easier. The other thing that I've done that I think is maybe more, I guess, effective, like from a bigger kind of scale, like putting like infrastructure around me is that I have had coaches that I've used in the past. And I, I went through this course called Landmark Education. It's really kind of a transformation that you kind of decide to be the kind of person that you want to be. And then they've got some coaching and, and things like that. And I found that my successes or failures weren't about my pitch or my slides, not having the right text on my slides or whatever. It's really about the energy that I kind of bring to whatever I'm doing. And when I have a coach, I just feel like I can be a little bit maybe vulnerable to them. I can be honest about how I'm feeling like I'm maybe not being authentic or I'm trying to convince people of something. I guess that kind of sounding board gets it out of me and then kind of reminds me of the things that I, I set out as goals with that person. And the thing is, you can't have your wife or your partner be that person all the time, right? Because sooner or later, they're like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it anymore. And like I said, my wife and I have been together for over 30 years. So it's like, you've got to make sure that if you're going to do this hard thing already, you're not kind of like reflecting it all onto like your family as well. So, you know, I read all the, the books, I do all the Blinkist things that try and steal ideas. But at the end of the day, I know that it's really about me just having this mindset. And there's a few things that make it happen. Exercise, wins. It's not rocket science, to be honest. It's really not. And you hit on a couple of things that we've heard from a number of people that we've had on the show, and that is the exercise that you just mentioned and the coaching. Those seem to be two themes that a lot of uh, business owners bring up over and over again that helps them succeed and helps them, well, just, you know, be able to cope with everything that's going on and, and including those failures that you talked about. Yeah. And just know, like, it's normal. 
you feel like you're kind of crapping the bed and that you're a failure or you're failing, it's totally normal. It's okay. It's normal. And I know for myself, when I've fallen down with exercise, what I did during COVID is I hired a personal trainer online. And so half hour, twice a week, this guy would throw me into the torture chamber and it was only a half hour. So if you're used to exercising, you can usually last for a half hour. And I did that for two months. And then I got my mojo back. I got my like my fire because I was like seeing the progress again and I was feeling it. So if it is hard, whatever technique or tactic you're using, it doesn't have to be forever, right? Just get yourself back on those rails. Yeah, exactly. So Curtis, we've talked a lot about your journey, your entrepreneurial journey. You're, you've certainly done a lot so far and it, and it sounds like you're going to be continuing to do that. So what's next for Curtis? What are your goals over the next uh, year or so? My ultimate goal is to, I've decided that I'm a sailor. I don't know if I mentioned that I get into things that I know nothing about. My dad was in the Navy. And uh, so I started sailing and I got my skipper certification through the American Sailing Association. I remember this like it was yesterday. I said, dad, listen, I think I'm going to try and sail around the world. And he's like, you're going to die if you do this. (laughs) He's like, you don't know what the ocean can do. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. But lots of people have done this. So the future for me is really about getting in a big adventure with my family, having these like this body of work that is like experiences where my daughter says, oh, I did this with my dad. You know, we did this as a family. That's really kind of the shtick, I guess. From a work point of view, we're launching a new arthrita.com is a uh, arthritis offering for, you know, rheumatoid and osteoarthritis patients. There's about 65 million of them. It's a lot of tech that we already have in the box that we're kind of refocusing on a consumer-based audience. And then I'm also uh, working on a few other kind of like projects for provider networks and and things like that. And hopefully it'll have some innovation to it. Those are still in their early stages. Well, I tell you what, if you ever end up in a Lagoon 470, which is my dream sailing vessel, you need a skipper. Just give me a holler. I'd be happy to join you. Well, thank you for joining us today. Our first conversation was great. This one was even better. So I'm glad we recorded this one because I'd love for other people to hear this. So thanks for joining us today and sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Physio? Yeah, Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S at Physio, P-H-Z-I-O. It's a little bit of a weird spelling, .com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Curtis Hollister on LinkedIn. A nice, easy way to, to reach out to me. And, you know, and just back to you guys, hey, keep going, doing what you guys are doing, just creating these kinds of conversations and this kind of energy. It's so positive. I, you know, just kudos to you guys for doing what you're doing. Thanks, Thanks very that. much. I appreciate it. So that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. And as always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.